Would you give the Lord another real good hand of round of applause for who He is and what He's done? I want to welcome all of you today to our Resurrection Sunday service, those of you joining us online as well. And as we get into the Word today, I'd like for us to open up the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, and if you have a Bible, follow along. If not, and you need one, there's in the pew beside you, behind you, in front of you, there should be a Bible that you can join along with us in. Also have the Scripture on the uh, the screen behind me. I'm going to title this message today, When Empty is a Good Thing. Luke 24, verse 1. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. The Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened. As they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Earlier in the service, we sang the song, He's Alive. That was from the perspective of Peter. And uh, I want you to notice three things. Today we're going to look at each of these, each of these empty things. We're going to look at an empty cross. We're going to see an empty tomb, and we're going to look at empty grave clothes. Those are the three empty things that we're going to look at today. Now, sometimes empty is not a good thing, right? Now, had you put your key in your ignition today and try to start your car and it was on E or empty, that would not be a good thing. If you open up your fridge and it's empty, how many of you know that's not a good thing, especially if you have teenagers in the house? If you open up your pantry and there's nothing in that, uh, that would get a little frustrating. Emptiness is not always a good thing, especially if it's an empty heart. Keep that on the back burner. We'll get back to that in a minute. I'm going to share with you a story. And the story I'm about to tell was told by Dear Abby. 
in a response to someone's question to her. The story goes that there was a young man from a wealthy family who was graduating from high school, and it was the custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate in their home a car when they graduated. So he and his father had spent months literally looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. And on the evening of his graduation, his father handed him a gift. It was a wrapped box, and within that box was a Bible. Well, the son was so angry when he opened the gift that he didn't get the car, that he took the Bible and threw it on the ground and stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. It was the news of his father's death that brought the son home again. And as he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across the Bible his father had given him and that he had thrown to the ground. Well, he brushed away the dust and he opened it only to find a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. And as I hear this story, I often wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to God, literally tossed aside a wonderful promise that he made to them because like the disciples, it sounded too good to be true. It sounded like an idle tale. In our world, we're actually taught, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Because so many of us have been taken in by empty promises that we're leery of anything or anyone that tells us that we can have something for nothing. My wife and I were just, uh, we had to get new furniture because ours was literally, literally falling apart. Every time you'd get off of it, you had a piece of it on you. But only nine years ago, we were told it was genuine leather. And you would need to clean this leather and you would need to condition this leather well, how many of you know if you clean and condition what is not real leather, there's moisture in that cleaner, there's moisture in that conditioner, and fake leather falls apart with moisture. So doing what we were supposed to do, we actually made our furniture die a very quick death. And we set the saleswoman before a judge. I'm kidding. And we said, is this genuine leather? Well, we know it is. We're praying that it is. We pray we haven't been taken again. But we know empty promises are not fun to be a part of. But you know what? D.L. Moody said this about God. He said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And I will amen that. 
The truth of the matter is the world is full of empty promises. We watch TV and we see these advertisements that tells us we can be happy or we can be glamorous or we can be famous or we, we can be rich if we only buy their product. And it doesn't take too long before we've been fooled enough to know the world's promises are full of emptiness that we do not want. But God is different. Instead of promises full of emptiness on Easter, he gave us emptiness in three things, and all three are full of promise. Can you say amen? This morning, I want us to think about the promises of Easter. There are three of them. I've told you what they are, and each promise is marked by something empty, but it's a different kind of empty. It's an an empty that has the potential to change your life. It will fill you with hope. The empty that I'm talking about is an empty cross, an empty tomb, and empty grave clothes. And it is the very fact that each of these is empty that assures us that God's promises to us are real. Because they could not hold Jesus. Because they could not hold Him back. He could not be contained by the cross. He could not be, you see today, we do not have Jesus on the cross because He's not there anymore. He was there, but they took him off the cross and they put him in a tomb, and guess what? He's not there either. Even the clothes he was in are empty. So let's begin with the empty cross. Because the cross was empty, and because it still is empty, here's the promise we have. Forgiven sins. You see, Jesus had to die. before he rose again. Now, it's, it's really funny. When our family sits down to watch a movie, I already know if there's conflict in the movie, my wife is going to become a nervous mess. She does not like conflict. The conflict in the movie, she, she's up and doing other stuff. She's, it, it, it just gets her working. And I'm like, honey, there's going to be resolution. The good guy is going to win in the end. But the conflict, how many of you hate the conflict? You don't like going through the battle. You don't like going through the test. We all want a testimony, but none of us want the test to get the testimony. But that's what it took. It took the cross. It took death on a cross for Jesus to rise again. Let's go back in our minds to that first resurrection morning. It's early morning. Just before dawn, the sun is not quite risen yet. And a few of Jesus' followers, all women, are on their way to a tomb, and it's a tomb where Jesus is buried, and they've now been walking for about 30 minutes. And the conversation they're having is subdued. The task before them is a sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus, and as they come to the top of a rise in the path, they all stop, motionless and quiet. They stare off in the distance. And as you look with them, look off to the right. Just outside the city stands a gruesome reminder of the events of just a few days ago. You see it over there? 
It's silhouetted by the glow of the pink sky. On top of the hill, the locals call Golgotha, the place of a skull. Three crosses are there. Yesterday was the Sabbath, so nobody has yet removed the crosses. So there they stand, an empty reminder of the horror of Friday. And the one in the middle, that's the one I want you to see. That's the one that Jesus hung on. Take a close look at it. Look up at the top. Those blood stains are from the crown of thorns that was shoved into Jesus' skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar came from the nails that were driven into his hands. The main beam, it's soaked in blood from his back, blood that was shed when the Roman soldiers beat him with a whip called the cat of nine tails. It also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran a spear through his side up into his heart to see if his, he was dead. He was. Don't ever believe anyone who tells you Jesus was just faking it. There was no question. Jesus was dead. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. The Jewish priests knew it. His own mother, Mary, knew it. Every disciple knew it. They all saw it happen with their very own eyes. Yet, the Jewish priests made up a lie that the disciples stole the body. Well, let's consider that for a minute. Can you imagine 11 fishermen overcoming a company of Roman soldiers, moving a two-ton stone, rolling it uphill to remove and steal the body of Jesus so that they could claim he had come back to life and then willingly die to protect their lie? That's what the Jewish priests said they did. Church, can I, can I say this? People will willingly die for something they believe in. But no one will ever die for something they know is a lie. Jesus really did die. You see, you have to have a bona fide death before you can have a bona fide resurrection. You got to be dead before you can live again. And that's why I want you to see the cross this morning, the place where Jesus died. Because today, it's empty. Empty of the body, but full at the same time, full of God's promises of forgiven sin. Full of hope for you and for me. The promise of the empty cross is that you and I can stand forgiven because it was on that cross that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. Back to the stone of the tomb. The tomb was sealed with a stone that weighed between one and a half to two ton. So we're talking 3,500 to 4,000 pounds, and it was rolled along a channel, in a channel, and the channel had a slope to it, so it was easy to close but not so easy to open. 
sin. Everybody say sin. Now, that's a word that's not so popular today. If somebody does something and their lifestyle is found in Scripture to be sin, and we call that sin, boy, we're going to be at the wrath of the political and media environment. Can I hear an amen? I mean, we're going to get swords thrown at us, arrows thrown at us, uh, called all kinds of names, and all we did is just say sin. Can I tell you something? Lying is a sin. Adultery is a sin. I want to show you another one. Gluttony is a sin. We don't talk about that one much, but gluttony is a sin. Stealing is a sin. And so, the simple matter of the fact is this. Sin is real, and we have all sinned. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I see a sinner. Some of you are not going to say that because you don't want to be in trouble with your spouse. Some of you have been waiting to say that for a long time. But every one of us, you, me, the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, and beside you, we have all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. There is only one person who never sinned, and they put him on a cross. So here the problem is, according to God's law, the wages of sin is death. Because we have sinned, we deserve God's just punishment. We deserve eternal death. But love compelled God to send his son to bring us back to him. And when you look at that empty cross, it's a reminder today of God's promise that we can be forgiven. Can you say amen? Because church, on that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. God's word tells us that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was on that cross that Jesus Christ offered his perfect sinless life on behalf of each one of us. No one else, not Moses. He was a good guy, but it wasn't Moses that died on the cross. It was not Abraham. It was not King David. It was not my favorite prophet Isaiah. It was not Muhammad. It was not Buddha. No one else ever lived perfectly and then offered his perfect life for our salvation. That is why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. That is why there's only one way to heaven. There's not many roads that lead. There's one, and it is narrow. Before that fateful Friday... God could open the books and look up each name. And written in black would be the words, guilty of sin. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Look at yourself in the mirror, guilty. But on that day, across every name that would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, he would stamp, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. He wrote it in Jesus' blood, forgiven. 
Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you and I now stand forgiven. The first empty promise of Easter is the empty cross. But it's full of promise of forgiven sin. Now let's get back to the ladies at the tomb. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them wonders aloud, who moved the stone for us? See, they're thinking. They have good reason to be concerned, don't they? One and a half to two ton stone going uphill. Yeah, those ladies, disciples have a tough enough problem with that. These ladies are going to have a real tough problem. Not only that, the Romans sealed it. However, the ladies continue on. Suddenly they feel the earth move. And frightened, they look at each other, not certain what to do. And after a few minutes, things seem normal, so they continue on their way. And as they approach the burial site, they're still wondering about what had happened. And when they come upon something even more remarkable. Now, Luke doesn't tell us this, but another one of the disciples show us that the soldiers that were guarding the tomb, they're unconscious. They're out. They're knocked out. And... The stone has been rolled away, and here are these glowing men, angels glowing like lightning, sitting on the stone saying, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen just like he told you he would be. Jesus was alive. He had been risen. The tomb was empty right after the cross was empty just like he told us. How many do you ever remember someone in your school and they were not popular? Maybe it was you. Well, there was a little boy named Philip, and he never felt like he belonged. He was pleasant enough, but he looked a bit different and sometimes seemed unusual to his eight-year-old classmates. Well, as he went even into his Sunday school class at church, several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. He gave everyone a, uh, every member of the class a plastic egg. Ladies, you'll probably remember this. It was the kind that pantyhose used to come in, the legs pantyhose. And so... the teacher explained that every one of those children were to go outside and find a symbol for new life and put it into the egg. And enthusiastically, the the class, they're just excited about this. They got them a plastic egg, and they're going to be able to fill it with something. So they go back, and back in the classroom, after they do it, the eggs are opened, and one at a time, each child explains the meaning of the symbol. The first egg has a real pretty flower in it. The next one has a beautiful butterfly, while green grass is in the third one. And the children just began to ooh and awe, and in another was a rock, which prompted loud laughter. But the child said, hey, that's the, that's, the, that's the tombstone. It's been removed. And then there was Philip, and he began to tug at the teacher's shirt because she opened an egg, and there was nothing in it. And all the kids are laughing, 
And while he tugs at her shirt, at his shirt, Philip says, teacher, that's mine. And I did do it right. Even though it's empty, the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday. And there was an unusual, thoughtful silence. And strangely, from that time on, Philip was accepted as part of the group. Now, Philip continued to struggle with many physical problems. That summer, he actually picked up an infection, which most children would have easily shaken off. However, Philip, his weak body couldn't fight it. And a few weeks later, Philip died. And at his funeral, nine eight-year-olds with their teacher brought their symbol of remembrance and placed it near his casket. Their unusual gift of love to Philip was not flowers. It was an empty egg. An empty egg. Now a symbol to them of new life and hope. See, it was Philip, the different child, who had helped his friends see the wonderful hope in the message of Easter. And it was enshrouded in emptiness. In the fact of the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And within that truth is the promise to every one of us that we too will be raised again in new life. Everyone who's gone before us, we're going to see him again. Can you say amen? To those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, death has lost its sting. It's no longer something to be feared because what fear is there when we have the promise that one day we will live forever with Him in heaven? A father and son were traveling down a country road on an afternoon in springtime when suddenly a bee, a bee flies into the window. And being deathly allergic to bee stings, the boy just begins to, to panic. As this bee begins to buzz all around inside the car and seeing the horror on his child's face, the father reaches out and catches the bee in his hand. And soon he opens his hand and the bee began again to buzz around the car and again the boy began to panic and the father reached over to his son and he opened his hand and he showed him the stinger still in his palm. And he said, relax, son. I took the sting. And the bee can't hurt you anymore. The empty tomb, say the empty tomb, is God's way of saying to us, relax, my child. I took the sting. Death can't ultimately win. Ultimately. Everybody say ultimately. Seems like it but it does not ultimately win. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus was alive. It's pretty simple. You cannot hold an alive person. The angel said he is risen, and the promise to us is that we too can live even when we die. That's the second promise of Easter. Now back to our story. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the apostles and reported to them what had happened. 
And with this incredible news, the Bible says that Peter and John immediately race back to the tomb to see for themselves. And when they get there, John stopped just outside the tomb, but not Peter. He goes right in. And it did did not take him long to discover the final truth. Not only is it empty, but the burial cloth, the clothes are there without a body. And one in particular is folded up neatly in its place. And when they see that, when they see that, they know nobody stole him. They know that was done on purpose. Somebody took the time to fold that handkerchief. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? I don't mean do you know about him. I mean do you know him. I knew about Elvis Presley, but I never knew him. I could tell you about his songs. I could tell you about his life. I could tell you who he married. I could tell you about his parents. I could tell you about his brother that died. I could tell you about a lot of things, but I didn't know Elvis. I know about Governor Ducey, but I don't know him. Are you, going, are, you, are, are you going where I'm headed? You see, we can know about people, but we don't always know them. There are people that we know something about, but sometimes it falls the same way with Jesus. People know a lot about him, but do we know him? You can know Jesus Christ. You can know his love. You can know his care. You can know his healing. Do you know those things? Do you know if you know those things, I will guarantee you one thing. You've gone through something painful to get those things. You see, you need love when someone's hurt you. You need healing when you're sick, when you're in pain. You see, we have an enemy in this world that wants to make our life miserable. But Jesus wants to make our life meaningful. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulations in this world, but be of good cheer because I have overcome them. God does not take us around the valley. God takes us through the valley. Even though it's the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I would fear no evil because you are with me. I walk with you. It's painful. It's hurting sometimes. Yet, church, listen to me. At the end of their journey was an empty tomb, 
At the end of their journey was empty grave clothes. We too can have forgiven sin. We too can have promise of eternal life. What do the grave clothes tell us? It shows that Jesus takes special care in helping us understand. You see, it was the disciple Peter. Paint him in a corner by himself because Peter's the one out of all of them said, Lord, all of them, all of them may not, may, may, may leave you, but I never will. I'll be with you. And Jesus, in effect, said, no, buddy. He said, I'd die for you, Jesus. He said, no, buddy, listen, you got it backwards. You're going to deny you ever knew me, and I'm going to die for you. But when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Let me close with this last story. Many of you may know the pastor and author, John Maxwell. He tells a story about a suit coat, blazer, that he had bought from Nordstrom's. Sometime back, he said, I bought a new Navy blazer at Nordstrom, and it was one of those cases that you may have gone through where you buy an item of clothing, and the more you wear it, the more you realize you don't like it. And the blazer wasn't the right color, and it make matters worse, it attracted lint just real bad, real badly. And so after wearing it pretty regularly, he said, for six months or so, he stuck it in his closet, and he didn't wear it for a long time. And tucked away in the back of his mind all the while was that famous Nordstrom unconditional return policy. And he thought, I've had this thing now for a year and a half. I have worn this thing lots of times, and just, there's no way they're going to honor their unconditional return policy. They're not going to take it back. Well, finally one day he decided, you know what, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to pull my blazer out. And when he did, he just took a bunch of dirt and dust and threw it on his blazer, make it look really bad. And uh, he took it down to Nordstrom's men's department, and he walked in, and immediately he felt nervous. He felt like he was about to pull some scam of some sort. But he played it straight, and he walked right up to the first salesman he saw, and he gave this little prepared speech, and he said, Now, I am about to put your famous unconditional return policy to its ultimate test. I have here a blazer, and he begins to show it. I have worn it lots of times. I've had it for a year and a half, and I don't like it. It's the wrong color, and as you can see, it attracts a lot of lint, like it's going out of style. But I want to return this blazer for another blazer I like. And he just stood there and looked at him. And he could not believe it. This salesman, with a big handlebar mustache, just looks at him and begins to shake his head. And he said, for heaven's sake, man, what took you so long? Let's go find you a blazer. Well, ten minutes later, he walked out with another blazer that was marked $75 more than he paid for the one that he had brought in, and it was perfect for him. Didn't cost him a penny. Everything he wanted. In a real small way, the Nordstrom department store story is a lot like God. They were willing to back up their promise. 
even after he threw a little more dust and dirt on it. How many of us add more dust and dirt even after we've known him? On Easter, this day, more than any time than another, we realize that God has made all sorts of outlandish promises. Can I give you one? Let me just give you one. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Church, you can't get any easier than that. Let me take you back to the day he died. I've told you this story now for the past couple Sundays, but it goes well again today. There were two thieves that died by him, one to the right, one to the left. And in the beginning, both of them were hurling abuse at him. Both of them were saying, if you're the Christ, well, get yourself off the tree. Take us with you. Laughing at him. But in the course of time, one begins to really pay attention to him. Here's him. Quote scripture. Fulfills prophecy. And looks at him and ultimately says, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's all he said. That's all he said. Remember me. What did Jesus say? Now listen, you're going to have to get off the cross. You're going to have to bow at an altar. You're going to have to say these words, and then I will save you. That's not what Jesus said. All the guy said was, remember me. And Jesus said, you know what? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. First guy that made it was a thief. Forgiven, but he was a thief. Anyone know a thief? Anyone know a drunk? Anyone know an adulterer? Anyone know a murderer? God has saved all of them. And I want to just say this morning, we have heard about three promises that God has made to us. The promise of forgiven sins, the promise of eternal life, and the promise of a personal relationship where we can know Jesus. And my question to you this morning is this. Will you take him at his word? If so, listen to this final promise. And it's this, found in Romans ten thirteen: For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you stand with me today? All of you watching online, all of you here in this service today, bow your hearts, bow your heads, if you will, with me. One of the worst things to have empty is an empty life. An empty and broken heart. And if you're in that condition in whatever way, today I want to assure you that your emptiness can be filled. That thief that day on the cross that went with Jesus into paradise that day went from emptiness to fullness.
And if you simply say to him, Lord, I believe. I receive what you've done. He'll hear you. Now, here's the thing about it, and I want to say this. We can't just say one thing one day and then go and do something different the next day. What we say today, we have to walk out again then tomorrow. So the person and the people who truly know Jesus, truly know him, will be with him. We'll spend time with Him. We'll pray with Him. Today, Lord, I just pray right now that if there are any in this room that are in any kind of an empty state, anyone listening online, that you will hear their prayer as they pray. And I just encourage you right now, if you're in that condition, if you're in that state, just pray to Him. What is on your heart? You don't have to repeat anything after me. Just what is on your heart and tell it to Him. And Father, if there's any sin, forgive it. If there's any pain, remove it. Lord, if there is any broken relationship, fix it. And Lord God, be God today in Jesus' name. And we thank you that your promises are found in those three empty things, the cross, the tomb, and the empty burial clothes. Today, this celebration, this Resurrection Day, this Easter Sunday, draw us closer than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you believe God heard that? I believe he did. And uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and give him a clap. That's good. Right there. Um, Has all the Easter bunnies come back in the house? Are the eggs hidden? Okay. Okay, they're, they're ready to go. Oh, I've got him. The biggest Easter bunny is right there in the back. All right. Okay, so kids, what's going to happen is, Miss Sherry, are you going to organize this? Yeah, just meet, meet uh, Miss Sherry out there on the, the front of the church. All right? God bless you guys. Thank you for everyone coming today. We love you all. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.